Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and your blessings and provisions. God, thank you for, uh, God, this podcast and this platform, Lord, for listeners. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for our very special guest today. Lord, we thank you for Rachel and pray mm-hmm. your blessing over her life and her ministry, God. Uh, bless this uh, this time, this conversation. And Lord, let ears that listen uh, just be encouraged uh, through her story, Lord. We love and praise your name. Amen. Hello, everybody. This is Barry Feeker, Executive Director Emeritus of Topeka Rescue Mission. That's a long title, Amanda. It was. That's yeah. a mouthful. <laughs> it is. I uh, find the <laughs> acronyms for that or something. But uh, you're listening to our community, our mission here on January 25th of 2023, Podcast 158. Why do I say that every time? Just so that you know what day it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe so, it'll help you the rest of the day. So it'll help me. Yeah, it kind of set my course straight. Uh-huh. You know, we've done 150. This will be a number number 158. Easy for me to say, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, sometimes people will look back at these and they'll know where they are on this. And so, you know, if you want to be contemporary, this is 2023, right. not 2021. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but there's been a, a lot of podcasts here in, in our community, our mission. Today, we're going to talk about another heavy subject mm-hmm. that has a really good story mm-hmm. in it um, with our special guest. Lamanda, you, um, you're rounding up on one year, come mm-hmm. this April, yes. as the Executive Director of Topeka Rescue Mission. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, <laughs> this is not, uh, oh, this is our fan club. Yes, uh, <laughs> I have one. You have one. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's how it grows. I mean, you'll, you'll yeah. have about 30. Keeping me humble. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Lamanda, you, um, you've seen, even before you came to the mission, as working with people and helping people, but before you came here, you saw challenges in mm-hmm. life that people go through. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you um, have been in a place where, as a teacher, as mm-hmm. a principal, that you could help and guide uh, as a member of your church. Mm-hmm. Coming to the rescue mission, you see kind of pain magnified mm-hmm. and challenges. Mm-hmm. What has it done to you personally to... Mm-hmm. Um, encounter this. A lot of people see and hear about some of the kind of things that uh, we experience every day here uh, from a distance. They Mm -hmm. read about them, they know about them, but they don't quite see it. What has it done to you personally to be this involved in the challenges that people go through? Mm -hmm. You know, I think the main thing that it's done is it has allowed me to take ownership. Um, You know, before as a principal or even as a teacher, I was so responsible for those 20 kids that were in my classroom. And then that amplifies a little bit more. And as a school, then you have the 500 students and, and you take ownership of them and, and um, you want to care for them. You want to guide them. You want to love them, discipline when it needs to be, those kinds of things. And um, one of the things that I really vividly remember, bef- it was one of my last days of being at Shaner. And I had my um, office packed up. and um, you know, it was it was bittersweet leaving. I knew God had told me to come here, but I really loved my job, too. I loved the staff and I loved the families and walked through some pretty heavy things with both staff and students and families. Um, but one of the things that I remember the Lord making very clear was that I was going to be able to help people. But this time it was not going to be confined to walls. Mm-hmm. And um, I then had a switch in my heart and in my mind to go okay, Lord, I'm still going to be able to walk alongside people who are struggling, whether that be because of poverty, mental illness, um, death, sickness. Um, And now I can either focus on what's going behind me or focus on what the Lord has in front of me. And so 
now, you know, as I'm driving down the road and I see someone on the street, um, that impacts me, the the people that are in my shelters, the people that are coming to MAP, um, I say all the time, they're my people and and they're my people because we're all the Lord's people. Mm. Um, And that can come with good and bad. I can't turn my brain off at night. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's a heavy load, but I also have to remember to give everything back to the Lord. So the people struggles, um, or maybe something that I feel like I don't have the power in me to do. Um, I have to give that back to the Lord every day, uh, not to give up on that person, but to say, Lord, I need you to intervene because this person is radically loved and they don't even know it. Do you see people responding to that? I think I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not be the first engagement, might not be the second. Uh, but when you pursue someone um, and and that pursuit is relentless um, with no strings attached, just because you love them radically, um, people then begin to trust. And um, I also think that um, I'm getting a, I don't know, a, a reputation, I guess, for uh It doesn't matter what walk of life you're in. People know they can call me. They can text me. They know that their story is safe with me. Um, And sometimes that's leaders reaching out, needing me. And sometimes that's literally someone that for that period of time is on the streets right then. And I and that is what I want to be known as. And and it's not a Lamanda thing. It's not anything that I'm good at. It's that I'm trying to love people the way that that Jesus does as much as I can. One more question before we get to our guest is that this is probably one of the biggest questions that anybody asks in regards to, is there a God or not? Mm -hmm. You see a lot of suffering, Mm -hmm. see a lot of um, defeat. You see, you see people who um, probably are the most vulnerable hurt people in Mm -hmm. this part of the world. And of course, uh, when you get this close to it, um, you have to wrestle with this. Mm -hmm. God, why? Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, because a lot of people say, well, if there really is a God that loves, why does he allow this kind of suffering to go on in the world? Mm-hmm. And you magnify that by about 8 billion mm-hmm. people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. globally. And uh, when you realize in this, in this culture, we are, we're, we're rare mm-hmm. in regards to everything we have. There's so much suffering mm-hmm. in this world today. You see it firsthand right here in Kansas, in mm-hmm. the capital city, mm-hmm. out on the streets, in the shelters. And so it's one thing to theoretically believe that God loves everybody. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to then say, okay, God, you got to show me how you're loving in this. Mm-hmm. You answer that. Um, I think the first thing is that it is okay that you do wrestle with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are times where I'm on the ATV, Barry, or I'm walking through the shelters or I'm reading incident reports or someone has reached out to me because they're needing prayer and the thing that is happening is horrible, horrible. Um, and the first thing that I now do is I don't just process that on my own. I go to the Lord with it and I say that, Lord, why is this happening to this person? Or Lord, why can they not have healing right now? Like, why can't they just say no to this or those kinds of things? Um, And I have to realize that I can't just have my own judgments or my own preconceived notions um, because I don't have um, the wisdom that the Lord does. And so I bring those wrestlings to him and he does one or two things. Um, He will guide me to know how to help that person. And he will give me through scripture, through song, through word um, on exactly how to help. Or he will continue to allow that person 
to be um, a heavy uh, burden in a good way on my heart so that I don't forget that person Mm -hmm. so that I continue to bring that person or I continue to bring that struggle or that trouble, whatever it is to him because he uses me as an intercessor. And so I think the first step is wrestling with the Lord, telling the Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling that this person was just assaulted. I'm struggling that this person has been clean for 90 days. And I just saw that they relapsed. Like those are heartaches and that is suffering. And that is ugly. There's evil sometimes with it, all of those things. But I bring that before the Lord. And then I also have to trust that he's either going to allow me to be a part of that story and give me the wisdom to know how to do it or I need to continue to be an intercessor and a prayer warrior for that person. Um, and there's there's ugly days. I mean, there are days where I'm tired, Barry. There's days where I'm sad for the people. Um, but I also know that this world is fallen. And that is why having a savior is so important. Mm. He's our savior to save us from everything that's here, because one day this won't be here. And we'll be in one or two places. Um, And so I just have to live every day for him as much as possible. When I mess up, I have to ask for forgiveness just like anyone else um, and just realize that my life is not mine, that I'm every day waking up because there's someone out there that needs me on their behalf. Something I heard in what you're saying is that uh, this life is a journey. It is. And uh, everybody's on their own journey. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we intersect with each other's journeys. Yes. But God's involved in all of our journeys. All of it. And so... Well, Lamanda, uh, we have a friend here today um, who's a friend of people on their journey, Mm -hmm. who's also been on her journey and continues to be on Mm -hmm. her journey to help people with their journey, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, She has a website. um, And in this website, it says she is a mother, sister, auntie, daughter, nurse, and friend. Mm -hmm. Experience her sharing her passion and turning pain into purpose. And she says, quote, I am a voice for misfits like me. People that don't self-regulate emotional things will and do it by the way of sadness or pills, whatever the distraction is. I want others to get it sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. If you are people, if you're a people pleaser and lying to others uh, on the outside, um, not to hurt someone's feelings, mm-hmm. you are doing yourself and them a disservice and likely angry. Mm-hmm. I have a PhD in failure. I think I got that too. Um, and I finally found what it takes for me to feel good in my skin. If you want my secret, take my hand and I will show you what worked for me. This is uh, Rachel Holthouse, the mm-hmm. hope dealer. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited that you're on here. This is, um, that's that's a very transparent, powerful, uh, not pulling any punches statement that you have on your website. It's um, rachelthehopedealer.com. Uh, is that right? It is. And uh, Rachel, you, um, we've gotten to know you here at the Rescue Mission on various levels. And so, um, and we're so grateful for that because it is part of this bigger journey that we have. And so, um, some people already know you. You've been out in community helping people. You've spoken to groups before. Um, you've obviously been right, right on the front lines with people who are challenged uh, in their lives to help them have that hope. So why do you call yourself a hope dealer? How did that come about? The term hope dealer, I did not coin. It is um, very widely used in communities of recovery. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a term, you'll see it loosely on um you know, just maybe a hat, 
and instead of dope, the D is crossed out and an H will be over it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times these people are overcomers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I say all the time, every human has a story. Mm -hmm. This is just mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I really connected with that term, hope dealer. Uh, and and I had a friend that suggested, you know, make it your own somehow. So because because I don't own Hope Dealer, but I can own Rachel the Hope Dealer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can, <laughs> and you do. So I, I I don't have that patented, <laughs> but the it, the point is that's me. That's who I am, uh, and the reason it resonates so well with me is because at the core of everything. I want to focus on legacy and what I leave to my girls, the thing I want them to remember, because they'll know me longer as women than they have as girls, mm-hmm. is that she taught me how to heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So powerful today, and, and uh, one of the beginnings of healing is to admit I'm hurt. And so we uh, we have uh, a hard time doing that sometimes to say that that I'm, I'm wounded. And some of those wounds are real obvious. I mean, you know, if, if I break my arm and it's kind of going one di- direction differently than it was before, it's one thing. But if that emotional pain, those things inside of us that are broken are sometimes very hard for us to understand and very uh, hard for us to communicate or be transparent with others. Well, Rachel, um, obviously you've, you've got a pretty big story here. And you got a book in the making. And so there is a lot here. But take us back before you identified yourself as Rachel, the hope dealer. Where was life and where did it take a turn for you to be here today? Uh, Well, when I was just plain old Rachel, (laughs) (laughs) Um, born and raised in Topeka, um, I am a nurse. I have a master's degree in healthcare leadership. Mm. I have two daughters, 15 and 21 now, but they were young. I was raising young kids when um, my life changed a whole lot. Mm. Uh, I look back at a bird's eye view of what, what happened. And 19 years ago, I took a sleeping pill, started taking sleeping pills, and that was the gateway to a path of destruction for my life. And I was a person who wasn't a drinker. I had never even seen marijuana. Um, I was a good girl, like, you know, had lots of friends in high school and um, nursing school and uh, went to all the parties. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do the other thing that, mm-hmm. you know, we try to keep our kids to hold off from for a long time mm-hmm. if we can. Um, you know, a good girl. Uh, so it it was a complete difference, a complete change in uh, what, what had been mm-hmm. the canvas of my life. Mm-hmm. So... A surprise to me that here I am, a drug addict. But it was almost immediately when chemicals were on my brain that I realized a different intention Mm -hmm. than what it was for. I started taking sleeping pills because 
I was a busy nurse running a house. Um, my clinical background is recovery room nursing and operating room. And so um, evening shift, I think, was was around that time, 2003, working, doing those things. And then also I worked at night uh, as needed doing patient placement at Stormont Vale, the house that raised the sassy nurse. <laughs> so you were helping people um, and you were productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might have been pushing yourself a little bit much here and uh, needed some assistance to be able to balance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so so as needed, I was doing patient placement, which is like the house supervisor for the hospital for a shift. Mm-hmm. So I say that because it gives a glimpse that I, I was respected um, and seen as a resourceful person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. helpful person. Mm-hmm. Um, my gifts and talents are connecting with people, relationships, mm-hmm. right? I The list of my inadequacies is so very, very long. I'm terribly disorganized, and the list goes on and on <laughs> and on. But those were things, are things that I'm good at, and so that's what was going on at that time. Um, it was just a thing that happened. So I was switching back from working nights to days, and I was having trouble sleeping. Mm. I started taking Ambien. This is before we knew what we know now about Ambien. Mm. You know, you hear a lot of <clears throat> stories about people that had taken it and accidentally eaten in the middle of the night or driven somewhere and don't remember doing that or mm-hmm. things like that. Um and so once, oh, okay, so rewind, I'm sorry. So I had done that, started taking it maybe a couple of months or something, and then my grandmother died. So it was the first life event that mm-hmm. happened in conjunction with starting to have chemicals on my brain. Mm-hmm. And that emotional um, event coupled with this brain chemistry change mm-hmm was a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. So I... W- did you know, excuse me, mm-hmm. did, did you know, based upon your medical background, based upon everything else, that this was a potential? Did this catch you off guard? It completely caught me off guard mm-hmm. that that it was a problem, mm-hmm. but inside, in my inner voice, I absolutely knew what was going on. I knew the intention I was taking that was not to stay asleep. Mm-hmm. It was because I liked the feeling mm-hmm. of checking out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would take a sleeping pill and try to stay awake. Mm-hmm. 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 I could float through things that I didn't want to feel. Mm-hmm. It was never an everyday thing, but it was a Oh, I can I can do this and escape. So there's mm-hmm. there's that thing that we all face is there's uh, more than one voice in our head yes. that says it's this way. No, it's this way. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the devil and the angel on either side yeah. of our shoulders. You know mm-hmm. that kind of thing, which we we struggle with. Um, but sometimes we don't realize which voice we're listening to until later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and so that it's just kind of a timeline for me is kind of easier to explain. Mm-hmm. So the snow the snowball just kept mm-hmm. getting bigger and bigger. So my grandmother passes away. I have some, she was, she's just a person, 
but she was my person, yeah, right? Yeah. She was my kind of my buffer, mm-hmm. if you will. She was not a perfect person, mm-hmm. but she was a good ambassador to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so, um, so uh, beyond that, I was continuing those working hours that were strenuous and stressful, but also in, mixed with that was on-call pay. And I think a lot of people fall into this thing, too, mm-hmm. where my value was getting, the lines were getting blurred, because any young family with little kids, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. helpful to have more money. Mm-hmm. And you can easily, you know, oh, I'll take another shift and that'll make this or that easier. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot of pressure, too. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Mm-hmm. And so that, okay, so that snowball kept going mm-hmm. to the point that, okay, so this is, um, I'm sorry, I said 2003 before. It was actually 2006. Mm-hmm. So, but this was a time prior to the safety that happens in hospitals now surrounding medications. Mm-hmm. And barcoding was not a thing then, mm-hmm. right? And I was a recovery room nurse. Mm-hmm. What we did was medicate pain after surgery. You had access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had access, mm-hmm. and um, I had infertility issues and chronic problems with endometriosis since I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I'd had five surgeries for endometriosis already at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, this is fast forward through all this, I ended up giving myself fentanyl Mm -hmm. because, or not because, I had leftover amounts of IV medication in my pockets Mm -hmm. because at the end of the shift, middle of the shift, best case scenario is that you do it immediately. You would get another nurse, witness the wasted medication. But, you know, things happen, life happens, Mm -hmm. and we would get busy and then kind of stockpile it and waste it all at the same time, this or that, you know, different scenarios. Um, Were you able to justify in your mind, because I'm working so hard doing all this and I I need some help and I'm a medical person, so this is going to get thrown away anyway. Did that kind of cross in your mind like, hey, this is probably okay? I absolutely knew it was not okay. Mm -hmm. I, I knew it wasn't okay, but in my mind... I I also justified that I was not taking it away from someone that was hurting. Right, right. And that's as far as I'll go with that. Though. Yeah, sure. I I knew I mm-hmm. knew absolutely it was wrong. And and I think this is this is probably where we all in a lot of our lives, you know, is that this is not okay, but the circumstances make it somewhat justifiable. So I make that decision at this moment and I'll quit it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever that addiction is, could be, you know, Dairy Queen. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that are, that as humans, but yeah, that's, um, appreciate that, that, the kind of picture. I mean, here you are professional, you're working and working and working and working and you've got some, some medical needs yourself. And I, I was, um, again, respected and loved and, treated so gently and kindly mm-hmm. by the safety net of people around me mm-hmm. that identified there was an issue and lovingly I was allowed to resign mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. from my home. Mm-hmm. I say my home because often I was there more mm-hmm. than I than I was at home, and uh, entered into the Kansas Nurse Assistance Program. And this is the first time I'm speaking publicly about that piece of it mm-hmm. because I never want to give anybody an idea that hasn't thought to cross that line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As a nurse, I had never seen that in a peer. Mm-hmm. I worked closely with anesthesia professionals, CRNAs and anesthesiologists, and I had seen it in their, mm-hmm. in, in their specialty. Mm-hmm. But I had never seen this in a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. I thought I invented it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Found out different, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. the only time in nursing school, uh, um, we had an attorney come and talk to us about the Nurse Practice Act, and it was maybe mentioned. I I do not even recall that being mentioned that mm-hmm. that this sometimes happens, and this is the steps that are taken, and mm-hmm. you know. So again, this is something that is on my vision board as part of something I'd like to address later down the road um, with my work. But I had seen it mm-hmm. in their specialty, but not with me. And so I've I've been a little concerned with how I share it because not wanting to put those ideas in anyone's head. Sure. I can't worry about that. Mm-hmm. And I think being vulnerable and transparent is more important the the benefit outweighs the risk. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an opioid crisis in America right now, mm-hmm. so this is not a bad time for helping people, even in the profession, to understand the dangers, which I'm sure they do, probably more so today than than when you were practicing. Uh, but yeah, no, we really appreciate you being transparent on this, mm-hmm. as well as everything else you're talking about here. It's, it's very helpful to some people that are going to be listening. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, um, you were allowed to resign. Um, from your position, um, then did you go into treatment at that point, or um, and then where did where did the journey lead you from there? In, almost immediately, I was hired at the. Um, every state has a quality improvement organization funded by Medicare, and Kansas Foundation for Medical Care is the entity for us here in Kansas, and. As a clinical nurse in the hospital, I didn't know anything about those type of things. Um, you know, to me, you're you're a sellout if you're a clipboard nurse. <laughs> you know, I was one of those walking down the hall. You, you have to be able to carry a sandwich in one hand and a bedpan in the other, and the only thing you don't do is dip the sandwich. Yeah, don't, don't I mean, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta we be all on point. <laughs> In fact, when I started working, and we had an hour for lunch, and the first week, I think I cried every time I had lunch because I felt so guilty. Guilty, Uh but it was a wonderful, um, it was a wonderful organization and uh, good friendships, and so they were aware. Um, my. Supervisors were aware because they had to sign off on things and mm-hmm. keep me compliant mm-hmm. with the program. And so I did go into treatment to out, outpatient mm-hmm. treatment. Now, when when this happened and we um, I was allowed to resign, I thought, okay, 
I'm going away for 30 days. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. I thought, I thought that, okay, I'm going to treatment. We're going to address this. And get, You'll get going. fixed, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went into outpatient treatment. Um, so right there, I think I need, I did absolutely need a higher level of intervention, but, um, I, I thrive in, uh, treatment environments. I like being in treatment environments and around things like that because it's loving. It's, um, I have a long history of going to different Mm -hmm. places for mental health recovery and, addiction recovery so anyway so outpatient recovery and once a month we met um as professionals that were also in the program and there's a lot more people in these programs than what you think so this was very nurturing to you it was what you needed yes um did that fix it all no Mm -hmm. what happened so i i was sober i continued to be sober Mm -hmm. the program was for three years and i did very well um, and let's see, fast forward 2006, 2009, I obtained my master's degree. I was very effective and efficient at my job. Things were going well. There was, um, an incident in my family. So, so here I have this mm-hmm. history of addiction mm-hmm. now, right? There was an incident in my family, and for privacy, I don't disclose what that incident was. Um, but it is the thing in mm-hmm. in sure. my story that is the hurtful thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I was going to do, how to resolve it. Mm-hmm. And emotional misfit then comes in. I am a person who doesn't regulate emotions naturally the way I think other people mm-hmm. do. And I've talked to a lot of people who have trouble with substance. People like us feel like when we ingest things, this must be what it's like to feel normal. This must be what it's like mm-hmm. for everybody else walking around. That's good. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't make it true, mm-hmm. but it but it kind of helps decipher what helps it's you, like Helps for you us. navigate through the pain that you're experiencing. So, so you... you um, kind of worked yourself into um, a situation where you needed help mm-hmm. and you chose the substance and you got on the other side of that, it sounds like. And then an event happened in your in your personal life that threw you backwards. Um, it doesn't take much sometimes, and sometimes it can be big, but an event sometimes will cause things to go back the other direction. And that sounds like what happened here. And why I say it's a PhD in failure because, you know, we talk about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing mm-hmm. over and over and mm-hmm. expecting a different result. Well, it, I did get a different result. The different result is every time the consequence was way worse, mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there, just expect that there's going to be another thing happen in your life, Rachel. And the next time you're going to mess it up even worse by coping the way you've well, you proven mm-hmm. is a wrong way to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so fast forward to January 26, 2013. Um, it still had to do with this event um, that broke my heart. And, you know, the world around me breaks my heart every day. It's still mm-hmm. going to happen. Things are still going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you're a sensitive person, 
just recognizing that about myself and being armored up and ready for it is what I need to do instead of responding to feelings when they happen, mm-hmm. um, acting on emotion. Easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, um, I'd had a recent back surgery. And so anytime I took muscle relaxers, pain medicine, any of my kryptonite, and I put that all in a category, opiates, muscle relaxers, anything like that, it lowered my inhibitions to entertain suicidal thoughts. Mm. Mm -hmm. I never shared suicidal thoughts with anyone. Mm -hmm. So that's suicidal ideation is what we call it clinically. Without plans is one thing. With a plan is another level, mm-hmm. right? Um, I had, so January 26, 2013, having lots of suicidal thoughts, lots of suicidal plans. Mm-hmm. The plan was always very similar. It always involved a vehicle, and I told no one. Mm-hmm. This thing that I'm going to say next resonates with so many people. This feeling of and how real and how palpable it is when you feel like you are a burden to the people that love you and that they would be better off not watching you suffer and not be able to figure your own self out. People talk about the selfishness of suicide and those types of things. I'm I'm telling you as a survivor of not just one suicidal act, but a few that were not minor attempts. They were major things. I'm I'm telling you, this is similar to the person that survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. I. This is exactly how I felt. I felt that it would be easier for my children if they didn't have to watch me hurting them the way I was hurting them mm-hmm. because I couldn't get unstuck. Mm-hmm. So there was a mixture of getting out of your own pain, but there was also trying to remove yourself from the pain of others. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes sense being a nurse mm-hmm. and uh, wanting to help other people. Yeah. that you would be looking at it from that angle as well. Um, so you had more than one serious attempt of taking your own life. Yes. So the January 26, 2013, I drove my car into a tree. Um, the, an ambulance was called. The coroner was also called. It did not look as if I would make it off of the scene. Hmm. Um, that was a life event that happened to mold the childhood of both of my children mm. uh, because I did survive. Mm. But but then this happens. I went to the operating room 38 times in, oh. a, in a period of just a few years. Mm. Uh, my jaw dislocated over 100 times, was wired shut more than 20 times. I had a feeding tube and a trach for a year and a half. All that time, 
on and off opiates, mm -hmm. on and mm -hmm. off the monster that was inside. Mm -hmm. And it was horrible, you know? Those things change your personality. They make you somebody that you're not. And though my desire would would be to not take those kind of things, you know. But at this point, you almost have to there, have them to deal with some of the pain. Situations where you, you have mm -hmm. to do some of that kind of stuff. Uh, and the part, a part of the story also is that the things that I was doing in my job at KFMC, I was a project manager for moving measures like um, antibiotics within an hour of incision for surgical patients. Mm -hmm. We worked on patient safety within hospitals. Mm -hmm. So I would speak to large groups of people across Kansas, often some of them in the room that knew I was a nurse who made a terrible, some terrible mistakes, but I still had value. Mm -hmm. And and so that was that's part of my story. <laughs> but I was in the ICU early on in the process of reconstruction on my face, had a head injury. What we know as nurses and uh, in the healthcare field is that people that have head injuries try to get up and get out of bed and get a drink of water. I was in ICU, and I hadn't had a drink of water for seven weeks because the injury the lower third drink water. The lower third of my face was gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can explain over and over to a patient that's been hit in the head, you can't mm -hmm. can't get up, can't get up. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, my husband at the time had gotten up to go to the restroom and I was there I was in the ICU alone. Mm -hmm. And you know, ICU nurses are busy, but I know me and I'm sneaky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am sneaky. Mm -hmm. And seven weeks a long time without a drink. Mm -hmm. Right? So I Got up and got myself out of bed. I had metal fixation all around the outside of my head. Mm. And so my head was, I was very top heavy. Mm. And I tumbled right out of the bed. Oh I, I remember this part. I woke up with my cheek against the cold hospital floor in a pool of blood. Rebroke bones in my face. Mm. And broke my tibia. I, on my left leg, it had been weakened in the wreck, but it wasn't broken then. Mm -hmm. I went ahead and finished it off because mm -hmm. I don't do anything halfway. I got to <laughs> do it. I got to do it all the way. <laughs> so you know the the complexities to the story are just it, it, it's the ridiculousness of it. I literally <laughs> worked with hospital teams on preventing these things from happening. Mm -hmm. uh, Medicare could withhold a hospital's annual payment update if, if they, they weren't doing these mm -hmm. things correctly. And mm -hmm. um, I was an ambassador for their largest payer source to help them move these things and make care better. And, and here I am flat on my face. What that says, right circumstances at the right time can create a story that's yeah. way different than the one that we were living. Yeah. Um, if the circumstances, the chemistry is just right. And here you were over on one side of this coin and now you're on the other side of the coin, not because you were a bad person, not mm -hmm. because you, um, uh, God didn't love you, mm -hmm. but there was a number of things that were coming into your life and against you and you were making the best decisions you could. Mm -hmm. And can it get worse than this? Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anytime we think it can get worse, 
Mm-hmm. Buckle up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buckle so, up. So you had to have some more surgery after that. And then, then get us to the place where you, w- what's next in life, Rachel, then? Next in life, fast forward, ups and downs, things are going on, lots of hurt, lots of heartache, uh, you know, not going to any of my kids' programs at school, mm-hmm. any, you know, missing life, all those things, financial devastation yeah. uh, with great health insurance. Um, I had titanium TMJs had to be custom made, and the only teeth I can have are dental implants. None of that was covered by insurance, mm-hmm. all considered cosmetic. Mm-hmm. And so the stress and strain on a small family, you know. So my 22-year marriage ended in divorce, ultimately. And, you know, it was a terribly sad thing, and grieving the loss of that. And not one either one of us wanting that for our children. And uh, we're able to still be good co-parents for them and want the same things for our kids. So that's the important thing. But... um I was a broken bird, and uh, my ex-husband needed to protect my kids, and he did what he needed to do. It was a terribly hard decision, and I took my Bible in my purse when he filed for a divorce, and I went to the rescue mission. Hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I could have—I had a credit card. I could have gone to a hotel. I could have gone to a friend's house. I could have gone to a family member's Mm -hmm. house. I had taxed everyone enough on mm-hmm. feelings and being in this dramatic, terribly emotional situation. When families struggle and people on the periphery love the family, they hurt just as much. They don't want mm-hmm. a family to dissolve. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, so, you know, matter-of-factly, I left everything in the house. I didn't take a pair of socks. I didn't take a vehicle. I didn't take anything. Well, underneath, it's because I'm suicidal. Mm-hmm. It's because you don't need them now. It's because I'm never going to take mm-hmm. a, a muffin tin out of my house when my girls like to make mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. right? And I want them to have everything. I want them to have everything I worked hard and invested in. I want that. Mm-hmm. For all three of them, mm-hmm. you know, I I still want my ex-husband to be successful. Mm-hmm. He didn't sign up to, you know, work his whole life and then have to have this happen either. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, so I take my Bible in my purse and march myself right down to the mission and I'd like a room, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, went over, I stayed at the Hope Center and I knew I would be greeted with love, and I was. And did you come into the mission at that point out of desperation only, or was it because this might be part of my healing? Or what were you thinking? Or can you bring us to that point? I absolutely, in in my heart, this is the thought process. Okay, God, it was a good run. It was a good run. And Did you come to the mission to die? Yeah. Okay. I, it was a good run. And I, I know, I know 
that I knew I was sick, I knew I was hurting, but I also know that I have hope that heaven is real mm-hmm. and that I have value in God's eyes and that my kids were going to be okay and they were going to be better without this dramatic stuff that was happening to their mom. Mm-hmm. And it was a good run. So, but why the rescue mission at that point? Why not a bridge or something else? Why, why come here for what purpose? That is an interesting question that hasn't been posed to me. Mm-hmm. So, because I didn't verbalize these things to anyone, mm-hmm. that would have that would have been a good question for somebody to ask me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, then things started to evolve. I think you know some people have said I just want to outlive the date on the milk or or things like mm-hmm. that. My suicidality would be similar to that, like. Okay, well, here we are. So let's make a plan for today. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- I'm still here, so whatever. So I'm still on the earth today. I'm not going to yeah. check out today. So I've lost everything. I'm going to take the pain away from my family. So there's this joint down there in North Topeka. So I'm going to yeah. show up and say, you got a room. Right, okay. right. Yeah, well, so, and, and again. Not I, an uncommon story. No. I, nev- I, never mm-hmm. discussed, I never discussed my plans. It's mm-hmm. just if I made an attempt, it was a big attempt. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. driven out and er, I ran out in highway speed traffic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's a handful of events, but they were big things. Mm-hmm. So I... Stayed a few days and then um, kind of got back together a little bit, got myself a place, established, you know, I kind of went through this thing where, okay, I'm going to be a single mom then and I'm going to have a place for my kids and, you know, they're going to live with dad and they're going to come live with me. I was in the middle of brokenness and sickness and still reconstructing my face and Mm -hmm. often on pain pills and of course, I wasn't in an appropriate place for my kids to be with me. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't strong enough to, I would never ask them, you know, to not be with their dad. I want mm-hmm. them to have that relationship with their dad. I I have brokenness of my own story with that. And so here was this kind of this fantasy world that I'm going to, I'm going to be this single mom and create this safetyness for my kids and they're going to be with me part of the time i was not well enough to be mm-hmm. on my mm-hmm. own it didn't work out um so i thrived during that time finishing the reconstruction off and on mm-hmm. in treatment environments mm-hmm. it never was that i was chemically dependent on any particular substance it was a symptom of my broken heart mm-hmm. 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 So did you come back to the mission again after that? I did. Again, things things are cloudy on some of that because mm-hmm. I would go, say I would go to treatment, um, then I would be out and something would happen and I would go to Vallejo and show up at the crisis center, say three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, this, this, this back and forth kind of bouncing around happened over the course of a couple of years, mm-hmm. but it's the story that we see. Mm-hmm. You know, you see Joe mm-hmm. sitting right. at the bus stop. Mm-hmm. It's my story too. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, Vallejo, three o'clock in the morning, this is just a quick, easy Vallejo story. It's the same thing. If somebody's hurting today and you're listening to me, the same thing can happen to you. It's not advice. It's not, it's not any level of invasiveness. It's a door that's open at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. You're not burdening your friends or your family. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're at risk mm-hmm. to end your life, mm-hmm. somebody will sit next to you and bring you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm-hmm. You know, Lamanda, uh, if people are still listening right now and they haven't just said, I can't handle this anymore, mm-hmm. they're getting a lot out of this. And yes. Rachel, thank you. Um, and the reason I say they may, this is heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, Rachel, what you're doing is that you're helping people to say, wow, I may need to really examine a little bit more internally and maybe talk to some other people and know that I'm not the only one mm-hmm. that's going through this. And and uh, and, and I, I would venture to say that God's going to use this podcast to save some lives. Mm-hmm. But let's get to the life-saving piece. Yep. Now we're a dealer of hope. So we're, we're kind of like... I mean, you've been through all these emotional pains, a substance abuse addiction, lost employment, lost family, Mm -hmm. been through this physical surgeries over and over and over again because you wanted to check out and tried really, really hard, but God said, no, not now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what hope is there left in this world? You've lost everything and you're in physical pain in addition to emotional pain. So how did you turn into a hope dealer? Even at my darkest, even at my darkest, still, my I picked one thing, and I talk to people about this. I don't care what it is. Pick one thing. The most hurt feelings you think, some, something that would hurt you. I have never had to put my kids to bed hungry, and people have to do that in reality. And so no matter what was going on with me, physical pain, emotional pain, who cares at night? I prayed. I've never had to put my kids to bed hungry. Let me love on people who have to do that. Mm. Let me not exploit that. Let me help them and remind myself it can always get worse. So is your medicine now, your your way of handling this, uh, doing what Jesus told us to do, go love your neighbors yourself? Is this Is this the antidote? The antidote is exactly what you described, mm. and it's and it's better, way better than anything else. What does that look like today? Um, we've kind of known you. Uh, you've been at different events. Um, you've spoken to different groups. Um, we've seen you at Mobile Access Partnership. We've seen you different things with Vallejo and so forth. So what do you do now today? Um, you've got this website. You've got a book in the making. Um you are really known as this cheerful person of, of, of helping people to know that they are seen and heard and valued. What does that translate out today? A quick um, explanation of it is I was 14 years old. I came home, had my first job, excited. To have, I'm driving my little $400 car, 1979 Mercury Bobcat, and I had my, I had my paycheck from Kmart. And looked at my dad and I said, who is FICA? They took all my money. <laughs> hey, we're wanting to know that ourselves, by the way. <laughs> and and there, and there so the story began. You know, uh-huh. we all pay into the Medicare Trust Fund. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am a recipient of that because mm-hmm. I am 
on disability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to be fiduciarily responsible about that. Mm-hmm. I paid into it. I'm still a nurse. I still have a nursing license, mm-hmm. but I want to respect that mm-hmm. and and do good with what I'm given. Mm-hmm. And so I can put gas in my 2010 Camry. I affectionately call her the Hope Mobile. <laughs> She's got no clear coat on the hood, but she has a lot of heart. Oh, that's awesome. She's paid for, you know, I $1,300 a month and I make it work. Oh. And it's it's an abundance. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. we have enough. We have enough. I want to do what I can with what I have right where I'm at. I love several organizations that were the safety net that helped me. So mm-hmm. Vallejo, the rescue mission, the community intervention team at Topeka Police Department. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. We have heroes among us. Don't we? Mm-hmm. Don't we? That that love that love that love. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they recognize love with a badge and a gun is what I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Josh Clam, mm-hmm. let me just tell you. I know you're going to hear this whether you like it or not. <laughs> he kicked in the door. Uh, kicked in the door of a locked restroom in a public place because here she is again Mm -hmm. here she is again they all knew my name this nurse that's throwing a fit because i felt like my head was underwater Mm -hmm. and i wanted somebody to hear me somebody to see that something is so wrong Mm -hmm. this isn't me this isn't Mm -hmm. my life what has happened Mm -hmm. I I had to be the one to fix it mm-hmm. with God's help. I had to be the one to not accept that, take my power and get on with it. Mm-hmm. But he kicked in the door. He'd had enough. He picked me up, picked me up with one hand, <laughs> grabbed the back of my back of my belt loop from my jeans, and he picked me up. And he said, Rachel, your divorce is final. You're going to make me tell Emma and Molly that you're dead because mm-hmm. they're your next of kin, mm-hmm. not your ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And he had tears in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he, the routine would be in something like this would be, take okay, take me to Vallejo. And mm-hmm. they would pat me on the back and give me peanut butter and jelly. And we'd start this circle again mm-hmm. of folks that are hurt and broken and they they don't know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And he'd had a different idea that day. <laughs> and he put me in the back of a cop car and put handcuffs on me. Mm-hmm. I've never been in trouble in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And it takes what it takes. Mm-hmm. And it was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life besides having my kids. Sounds like the tough love that we don't really want to ever think about, but yet it was something God used. So, in, absolutely. In this, in this so I, so, so Rachel, the hope dealer has street cred mm-hmm. yeah. because I was in jail for eight hours mm-hmm. and I have mugshot. Mm-hmm. And then the next piece of it is so loving because the alternate sentencing program right here 
in Top City that I talk about is love as well. Mm-hmm. It is a program. So, so they worked it. I broke the law by, you know, they could say whatever I was, um, disorderly conduct in public or whatever to, to get me mm-hmm. in trouble to a point that there are resources to help. Get some help. This mm-hmm. is what, what we do for people. And I had to go back every week and check in with a judge that looked me in the eyes with tears in their eyes sometimes. Mm-hmm. People saw value in me. Mm-hmm. And now I get to go back once in a while and say, you guys do a good job yeah. and I'm still doing great. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, Rachel, we, we got a little bit of your story today, but very impactful. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, thank you for being so transparent, mm-hmm. so putting it out there. Because as you know, there are people out there that are going today through what you were going through on their own journey. Mm-hmm. And they don't know if there's any good news, any hope, any light in this darkness. And sometimes we have to go through the pain and the suffering of the journey in order to get to our place where we're going to maybe get a cop to break down a door to rescue us, to get us to a place where we can get that next hope. Rachel, one last question. Um, so people can go to rachelthehopedealer.com, read a little bit more about you. Um, you're kind of on a mission here, to say the least, of bringing hope to people. How can people help you to spread that hope? Uh, I confuse people every day. I So I call myself an emotional misfit, right? Mm-hmm. And And some term I need to find out for just confusing the heck out of people. I mean, I walk, I can walk in the grocery store and from a distance, people are, where, what in the heck is up with this chick <laughs> wearing sparkles and whatever? Because I have, I have these scars on my face and I'm grateful for every one of them because it gives me an opportunity to tell you yes. about what God did in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's still working and things are still going on and they're still happening. And I'm busy. So get out of my way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get out of my way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and I'll have people tell me my business model is it, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. You, you're never going to make any money doing this, Rachel. Mm-hmm. And I crack up. So you can go to the to my website and click on the merch store and you can buy a t-shirt, you can buy a sweatshirt, you can buy a beanie. Mm-hmm. And then I match each of those purchases with a t-shirt, the same, that can get donated to the clothing trailer at mm-hmm. MAP or a single mom that I know that's trying really hard and she can't catch a break. Mm-hmm. And it's like I gave her a hug every time she puts that shirt on. Mm-hmm. Or my close friend that lost her 15-year-old to suicide a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I can't be with her every day. But when she puts it on, it's like I'm right there. Mm-hmm. So people can read a little more about you. And they can also um, possibly buy something that they could wear to be able to advertise hope. And then that turns around and helps somebody who's needing hope. If somebody wants to ask you questions, is there a way to contact you on that website? Absolutely. Okay. There, You can email me. You can... Catch me through Messenger on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I can be in a gas station. Somebody says, hey, Hope Dealer. I don't uh-huh. know who they are, but I'll talk <laughs> to anybody. I, I love people and uh-huh. I care. Yeah. Rachel, thank you for being here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank God for um, uh, helping you to understand how valuable you are and sending you to us mm-hmm. and to so many other people. 
you are definitely um, light in a world of personal darkness as well as the darkness we all go through. And so um, thank you for being um, such a fighter, Mm -hmm. but also such a lover. Mm -hmm. And so when you put fight and love together, you got Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing your Jesus with us. We appreciate that. And so I want to have you back again um, sometime to maybe talk about some other things that you're doing um, to help people and some new stories on this uh, new journey that you're on. Not new. It's the the continuation of the journey that's on the other side of this now of loving your neighbor um, like you love yourself and, and, and hear more about that. Could I just do yes. one plug, an opportunity you that you have to coming up to love on people is um, the 17th of February. There's a very exciting thing going on in Top City. Um, it's an event that hasn't happened before. We have, it's a, it's a boxing event, but Showtime is going to air it. Um, John Cantrell is a person who has a story very similar to mine. Yes. It's addiction, but also he wrecked his car on purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people have similar stories to mine. And anyway, just this morning, he announced where uh, the donation port part mm-hmm. of tickets purchased 10% are going to um, Baby Blake's foundation. Oh, the, yes. Help me. Team Blake. Team, Team Blake. Blake. Team Blake. Team Blake. Right. The Team Blake Foundation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, I love things like that. Well, I, Rachel. Thank you. We hope that people will get behind you, that they can help the dealer deal more hope. Yes, and, thank you. Um, and the uh, first way to do that is to um, obviously listen to a podcast like this and to know who you are even more than, than today. Because I know today, without a doubt, somebody's listened to this and they're going to say, nope, I'm not going to go down that path because mm-hmm. she's shared her story so transparently. I don't want to do that. But if you're already there, maybe this has happened to you. It's not over. It is not over. You can also find light on the other side of this. Believe it. Don't check out. You're valuable. You can be a hope dealer, too. Thank you for listening to our community, our mission, a podcast of the Topeka Rescue Mission. If you'd like more information about the Topeka Rescue Mission, you can go to trmonline.org. That's trmonline.org. This is podcast number 158. If you uh, would like to help promote this, you can subscribe, rate, or share. Um, our community, our mission. Thank you for listening again.